Hello and welcome to Stay Paid, the sales and marketing podcast on a mission to help you close more deals and retain more business so you can live a life of freedom tomorrow, but only if you take action today. I'm Mark Randall, the producer of Stay Paid, and today we're going to bring you four clips from previous shows, all curated to help you incorporate various marketing tactics into your business to get more customers into your sales funnel and to close more deals. The first clip is from episode 19, Develop a Marketing Budget That Works. And so I don't know how you want to kind of dive into this. I think the first thing is you got to have a marketing budget, but let's talk about like the spend a little bit. Like, let's talk about where do you start? I mean, you're a real estate agent, you're a financial advisor. Hey, you might be a a grocery store even listening to this. Or um, I think there's a guy that's selling perfumes that's following us uh, that hooked up with me on Instagram. So, you know, where do you start? How much should they be? Well, you can look at you can look budget? at general best practices. So if you look at some best practices, the the average is about ten percent. Your marketing budget should be about ten percent of your of your commission income if Correct. you're a service based sales professional, and that's what your commission is. Um, the other way to do it is to kind of like what we were talking about a little bit, and that's leading with revenue. So one of the reasons that maybe we didn't. It's almost kind of an excuse, but it's not an excuse to do the next step. But we're leading with revenue, looking at what's working and keep doing more of that. Keep refining. But it's evolving. What you're thinking is or what you were saying earlier about I don't want to spend or I didn't have a good year. or I don't think I'm going to have a good year. So I don't want to put together this marketing budget. Even start now. Go back and look at what were your sales last year? What did you spend on marketing? Just to give yourself a foundation for where you're at today. And when you look at what you're spending on marketing, Uh, make sure to really dive deep into what that means. That's your business cards. These are the events that you're going to, that you're networking at, because that's essentially marketing for your business. Why are you going there? You're looking there to make relationships and meet people and get referrals. These are your uh, email programs. These are your uh, websites, right, that you may be uh, paying another company for. You may be getting it through your brokerage, whatever you're paying for that. Uh, Make sure that you're including all of those costs into what you're spending on marketing. And then think about going into the next year, where instead of saying, well, I don't know if I want to spend this much next year because I don't know if I'll make that. Bank. Bank 10% of your gross income this year. Yes. Put it back for marketing for the following year. So then you can go into that year confident and comfortable knowing that this is what you want to spend. And that at least, you know, that's not even taking your goals into account and figuring out if that Correct. marketing budget will hit your goals. But that at least giving you a number that's Gives consistent you- and that you can come back and rely on. Right. Gives you a benchmark. Two thoughts. One thought I want to make before I lose it, because I think it's super valuable. You can write off. I'm not a tax expert, so don't take tax advice from me. But I believe you can write off like 40% of your marketing. So mm-hmm. another good reason to track your business cards, your website, what you're spending at these networking events, you can actually write it off on your taxes. And that's really critical for real estate agents and all that good stuff. The second thing that I think you know, you're know you touching on, which is really good, is this 10%. It's a great benchmark, but I think something that you need to think about is what mode of business are you in? Right. Right. No, so if you're not, just yeah. coming into the market, yep then you're going to have to spend a little bit more. A lot of realtors, a lot of insurance professionals, you will make no money your first year in business. I hate to say it that way, but the truth is you're going to make no money. If you're doing it, if you're putting in the work, especially from the time you put in, you're working 12 to 18 hour days your first year in the business. Why? Because you have to capture market share. And doing this marketing is all about getting attention. It's capturing market share to turn these people into clients. And so you need to be thinking, what phase of your business are you in? And if you're in the early phases of your business, don't be surprised that you need to budget 20%. 
for your marketing, that you need a budget more for your marketing because you're just either getting started and you don't have websites and stuff like that, or it's even more critical because you got to get your name out there. So you got to spend more money to get your name out there. So I just wanted to make that point that a little bit of this benchmark of 10% also is going to be dictated by where you're at in your business. Now, the other way to kind of look at it is if uh, we talk about Gary Keller a lot here with the Millionaire Real Estate Agent. And one yeah, of the he models was the founder he of Keller together. Williams, for those who don't know who's yes. listening. So yeah. it's like 140,000 real estate agents now. So, uh, I mean, amazing. I think guy. he knows what he's talking about. Right? Yeah, he does know what he's talking about. <laughs> but what he kind of breaks it down into is the uh, economic model, which is what goes in. This is your income. Your gross commission income is 100% of the revenue that your business takes in. Then he looks at what goes out. So these are your expenses. And expenses should be broken down into two categories. One is your operating expenses. These are your real estate overhead. This applies to any business. We were saying real estate because uh, he founded real estate brokerage, obviously. But this includes your office, your staff says to limit that to 30%. And then look at your cost of sales. And at the end of the day, that's what marketing is. Marketing is cost of sales. It's what you're spending to get your name out there. I think they say that someone has to see your name and photo together like 29 times before they start to put your name and photo together. So that's kind of talking about, you know, this out of home marketing, making sure that you're um, that you're in the community, you're getting your 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 photo and your branding out there. Um, He says to make sure that you limit the cost of sales to 30 percent. So he's going even a little bit higher than what we might look at when you start to look at across the industry average. Um, But he said that should be 30 percent of your GCI. So right there, that's 60 percent of your income, your gross commission income that's going back into your business. So if you're struggling with um, with getting started with that 10%, <laughs> like look at that because this is, this I is, would encourage you 30%. This is, is a framework. More accurate. This is a framework to become a millionaire. Yep. Real estate agent, service-based sales professional, however yep. you want to frame that. Well, it's interesting. It's what I think people make the mistake is when you're in business and especially in real estate or financial advising or insurance, you're, you're dealing a lot of times with bigger ticket items. So your, your sales cycle is a lot longer. I think in real estate, you're like 14 months a lot of times for yeah. a sales cycle from the time you actually get someone from the anonymous state to all the way to actually buying or purchasing something. And so what happens is you're so hungry for that money and you've put so much on credit cards that when you get that commission check, you know what you do? You hold on to all the money and you spend it all. And you don't, (laughs) at that moment, you don't function like a business. And I snapped there. Hopefully you guys can hear that snap on the podcast. But you don't function like a business. Meaning a business gets that money in and they go, okay, I got my 30% going to operating expenses. I got my 30% going to marketing and then the rest is for me. What real estate agents tend to do, and I'm sorry I'm coming at you guys, but it's the truth. What you guys tend to do is you get the money in your bank account and you spend it. And then you go on your vacation. That's why in our sales process, because we sell to insurance agents, financial advisors, real estate agents, when the market's up, all of a sudden, we're getting tons of deals in. And then and then when it goes down, everybody's just like, what happened to all my money? And they can't spend any money on marketing when they need to. Right. Where everybody else has now no money to spend. If you would just budget the money right at the transaction and function like a business where you take the 30% out, you can get your bank account to do this for you. I literally have in my bank account, when my money hits direct deposit. I don't make any conscious yeah, decisions of what I save, It just literally separates it. It <laughs> separates it, puts it. this in savings, puts this over here in this account. It does it for me. You need to do that for your business. Super practical. So many people well, it's, fail it's to the do. difference. I mean, it's a mindset change, right? It's the difference between looking at that as a paycheck and looking at it as revenue for your business. Correct. And if you're looking at it as revenue for your business, you're going to treat it like a business, not like a paycheck where you're ready to go spend that thing as soon as you get it. Yep. 
The second clip is from episode 24. Scale your business with growth hacking. Yeah, I mean, if we look at another example like Twitter, um, and you, you're talking about kind of in that moment that you're experiencing the product. So your your client's experience with the product is the closing table. It's mm-hmm. the time whenever that transaction comes to a close, they're happy. What, they, uh, what Twitter looked at when looking through their analytics is that the growth team discovered that people who followed at least 10 other people on Twitter were dr- dramatically more likely to be active users than those who followed less than 10. So they started introducing the who to follow. So you're in the product, you're enjoying the product, and now they're serving you up more more ways to use the product and to engage with it. And so what they started finding naturally is because people that had more, uh, followed more uh, than 10 people were using the product more, getting more people to follow people ultimately drove their daily users up and their engagement rate up. And they did two things there. So number one, they're capturing the moment that you're ex- you're enjoying the experience with the product. And then number two, they know the they know the metric that's going to provide them the greatest value in their growth. So for you, that might be at the closing table, and then that referral. Obviously, everybody knows that referrals are going to be your so- your most solid source. For you leads. better know that. If you don't know that, man, you're missing out. <laughs> so you better know that. And that really kind of brings it back to uh, the second point in our ebook, which is finding your aha moment. And so that was really the aha moment for Twitter was once they realized that that stat existed, the only question in their mind became, great, how do we get people to follow more people? And the way that you can kind of find these aha moments, we had one ourselves uh, when we would do uh, video testimonials. So we would go across the country, shoot these editorial uh, videos, and as a way to sort of subsidize the cost of those, we would get video testimonies from our clients. And we started talking to clients and finding out firsthand we were in their homes. We were in their offices. We mm-hmm. were seeing them in their in their environment, not just talking to them over the phone or over email. And the number one thing that we walked away with from that whole experience was how much people loved the way that they looked with the product. Yeah, I remember and it this. Changed our entire advertising campaign. We yep. went from a very feature driven, customizable magazine, generate tons of referrals, to a much more. Um, I hate to use the word vanity, but it is. It's a much more yeah. uh, how you look kind of branding yep. perception type mm-hmm. of piece. highest quality. Yep. Change our you content, look the best. change our ads to a classy and effective way to stay in touch. Even with Even changed our pitch, changed yep. the pitch. And to us, that was a bit of an aha moment where we began hooking more people after we realized, OK, obviously people want to see the referrals. But if you're not producing ROI for a marketing tool, then it's you, pointless. you shouldn't be a marketing tool. It's pointless. So man. the next question becomes, what's, what is really drawing people? What's differentiating our marketing tool from yep. them? And this is something you can apply to your business. Use this small data. So Martin Lindstrom wrote a great book called Small Data. It's all about, you know, the, the trend today is all big data, collecting all of these analytics, assessing them, running them through yeah, algorithms data. to tell you what to do. Mm-hmm. This is small data. These are the interactions you're having with your clients on a day-to-day basis where you can read their reactions. And the thing that they, uh, one of the stories that they told in the book was uh, Martin Lindstrom was a consultant for Lego. And in 2001, Lego, their business was tanking. It was, See, it was, I'm not surprised Josh knows this because he loves Legos. Love Legos. If you walked in yeah. his office, not to be tangential, <laughs> but there's freaking Legos everywhere. I wish I, I wish we had a couple behind us. Do. I don't we know do. if we... we okay, we do. Okay, it's behind there. my head back there. You have to check out the video. But anyways, not to interrupt you. So this guy's consultant for Lego. Yeah, so... And this is this is a great story because what he's in, he's in this um, uh, the bedroom of an 11-year-old in Germany, right? Kind of just talking to uh, him about what he's proud of. And he asked me, what's the thing that you're most proud of in your room? Because 
because that's Lego's demographic, right? Sure. And he holds up this pair of skate shoes or his pair of shoes, and they were worn and beaten and tattered. They had like this one edge had like the sole rubbed off at like okay. an eleven degree angle. And he said, the, the reason why I'm so why I'm so proud of these shoes is because it shows everyone that I'm the best skater around. Because when I go down <laughs> this half pipe or this whatever, it rubs the sole this way. So what they did at the time, Lego was actually trying to over, was trying to simplify their product. They were making bigger blocks and easier to build structures. And what he realized is the demographic that they're going after is super passionate about showing off the time that they put into their passions and hobbies. Mm. That they changed their entire business model, started making smaller blocks, more complex builds, uh, things that would take uh, Dude, that's you know, crazy. tens of hours to complete these builds. And then the brand has taken off ever since then. They actually even started the talks of making the Lego movie at that point because they realized <laughs> if ki- the, the users who were that um, invested in spending time with this hobby, they want to show off something that's impressive or something that's hard. So just using that little bit of information right. helps change change their whole business. Oh, it's the biggest brand in the world right now. I don't want to miss this applicable point to everybody who's listening to this is that the crux of both of these stories, whether it's Reminder Media's example or the Lego example, is understanding what your consumer, what your client actually wants and what they value. Right. And that takes a lot of work and a lot of effort. It takes How many of you guys right now have actually gone back and surveyed your clients after you sold them insurance or after you invested their money and just got their opinion of why they use you, how they felt through the process, and maybe what even you could do better, what they value throughout the process. It takes awareness, right? It takes the ability to be present when you're speaking to clients, and obviously you're thinking about how to help them with the service Mm -hmm. that you provide, but you're reading their reaction. Yep. You're paying attention to the things that are outside of It's emotional intelligence. And it's, it's the ability to read what the what, right. how they're at, how they feel. And if you're a realtor, you're helping them with uh, a purchase of a home. You're a financial advisor. You're helping them with a huge financial investment. Their lifestyle is so tied in to what they're coming to you for yep. that you have to watch the lifestyle. Yep. You have to pay attention to those clues. If you asked yourself of the you know transactions you've done this year, what is it that your clients appreciated the most about what you brought to the table? Do you know the answer to that question? That's the good action item for the end of this podcast. <laughs> so I'm just helping myself out here on this podcast. Pause and let yeah. that one sink in. Do you know? Do you know? Because I think of our own business and we're selling, obviously, American Lifestyle Magazine to people and ways for you to connect to your you know, key relationships. And I ask myself, you know, are, are we positive that the people we sold this year, and we've sold thousands, if we went and talked to them, would they all give us that, oh, the number one thing I love about you guys is you're helping me connect with my key relationships and I don't have to worry about it? Because that's mm-hmm. what we're selling. It's just be, you know, it's just a convicting thought. So the next thing that, uh, next point we want to make is uh, Luke touched on it a little bit, but that's to test small and scale, right? So most of your ideas are going to fail. Just, Correct. Uh, just deal with that. I saw a meme the other day on Facebook that had, um, uh, what a what a unsuccessful person looked like and had all of these blocks of fail kind of on their shoulders, right? And then what a successful person looked like and it was them just laying down the blocks of failure, stepping like as steps. Oh, that's brilliant. It's, just, it's yeah. just failing faster, yep. using it as a stepping stone to the next idea. But the most important thing is if you're just failing and you don't know why, 
then you're not going to be successful. That's the definition of insanity. No, no, that's trying the same thing over and over again. This next clip is from episode 30, The Value in Relationship Marketing. But the point being is, all of you today are probably driving around going, how do I generate the next lead? How do I get that next deal? And you live in that transactional mindset, and that's what ends up killing you versus thinking about the long term and thinking that everything for your next deal is in the deal you already closed, right? That's the line you came up with. The clients (laughs) you already have, everything you need for your next deal is actually with them if you just focus on that relationship. But walk them through this cool equation to give them some type of... I guess framework or something. Sure. Well, that they we want to look use. at the ROI, right? right so the biggest, the it. biggest concern I think with people is uh, relationship marketing. Where is my return on investment? Correct. I can spend. We've talked about this on the podcast before. We can spend X amount of dollars on Facebook to generate X amount of impressions that will ultimately convert to X amount of leads, and then we can look at how those leads close. That's really kind of the transactional marketing side. There is some relationship building going on as we get people into our content, but the question becomes, how do I sort of put some metrics on? on this idea of building a relationship with somebody is going to get me business later. Now, one of the most important things to kind of keep in mind is if you're a service-based sales professional, and this statistic is specifically for real estate agents, but 70% of your past clients are going to forget your name a year after that transaction. Wait, 70%? 70% of your clients will, for, will not be able to name their realtor a year it's after the transaction. Amazing. So that just gives you a a broad idea of potentially the missed opportunity, missed revenue. But we're going to use some numbers here. So if you have 50 contacts in your database, we're just going to go with that because this would be maybe past clients, sphere of influence, close associates. And we're going to use a real low number. Well, maybe a low number, but selling 10 houses a year, right? According to the National Association of Realtors, 54% of home buyers and 64% of home sellers found their agent through referrals. Right, or had worked okay. with them before. So we're going to average and that out. And that's directly from the National Association of Realtors yeah. profile. Yep. So, so we're that's gonna, not our stats. That's their stats. No. So let's say we average that out to 60% of those houses sold in a year are going to come from a result of referral or repeat business, right? So each relationship is going to bring you 0.12 repeat and referral transactions per year. Okay. So six divided by 50 equals 0.12. That's how we kind of got that number. Then multiply that number by the number of years remaining in your career. So be optimistic here, maybe, <laughs> when you want. This uh, also one, comes back to your 12, revenue 12, and retirement goals. <laughs> Depending on if we hit our goals. No. But that would then look at how many transactions that client would bring to you before you retire. So if you're right. planning on working 15 more years, 15 years times one, uh, 0.12 is going to be 1.8 transactions from that one relationship. Okay. All right. Multiply that number of your, by your average commission for the lifetime value of that relationship, average commission being $9,000. Total value from that relationship is going to be $16,200 okay. per relationship. For the okay. lifetime you're for, the in, lifetime. for your career, 15 yeah. years. For the lifetime okay. of your career. Now, of course, the number of years you have left will, is going to expand that or, yeah. or reduce that. Um, now, now sort of extrapolate that out to your contact database as you're bringing in more clients. If you have a system in place, which is sure. something that we're going to talk about here, what are the tools? What are the yep. systems? If you have a system in place to follow up with that client in a quality way that will keep you remembered, right? Your database is going to continue to grow. So let's be conservative and say that grows to a hundred. Correct. Over the course of your career, that relationship marketing is going to be worth $1.6 million. Just with your hundreds. Think if about for 100. that. Think right. about that. That's insane. It's insane because all of you right now have more than 100 people you know and have a relationship with. Even if you don't have them in a practical database or something right now, all of you can get to 100. And you're literally 1.6 is what you said? 1.6 million for 100 contacts. Million. Yeah, with 15 yeah, years remaining. Yeah. That's unbelievable. So, I mean, I mean, the question then inevitably comes yep. to... 
what are the systems? Yep. What in the world can I do? Because we've we've talked about before and, and even in our own business, you know, everything has to be broken down to a system. A lot of people, they don't suffer from a lack of ideas. They suffer from a lack of execution. Yep. And the reason they're not executing or the reason they feel like their business mm-hmm. is running them and they're not running their business is because they don't have those systems in place. Yeah, they don't build the processes. Have you ever been, you know, think to yourself right now, if you're a realtor, because I talk to realtors all the time and I know they experience this. Have you ever been super frustrated by the older person in your brokerage that seems to be closing deals left and right, but they do no (laughs) marketing and it feels like they barely work? What they are capitalizing on, because I see it across the board all the time, what they're capitalizing on is this whole equation that Josh is talking about, that their database that they've built up, those relationships that they've built up over the years is now turning into where they don't even have to work. I think of my brother. He tells me this all the time. There's an agent in his office. They, he, he says they do nothing. They do nothing at all. And these deals are just coming out of nowhere. And it frustrates him to death because he's <laughs> hustling, right? But he's trying to build his database. So that's the first step is you need to build the systems like Josh is saying. So what's a practical tool you have to have? You have to have a way to manage those relationships. It is a no-brainer. It's, it's not a question. In your business, you have to have a CRM that you can use. There's so many out there. The key is that you actually have to use it. Right. Uh, so I don't want to give That's necessary recommendations. So I think you can go to Google yeah. and get great recommendations on CRMs, right. right? And a little teaser for you guys. We're actually putting together one right now. But the key is with your CRM is that you have to use it to document because your human brain, you're not going to remember the things you need to remember to help that relationship be nurtured. What do I mean by that? If you meet a client like Josh, you're my client. If I can remember that your wife's name is Stacy yeah. a year from now, that's powerful. If I, if I just meet you and I have no relationship, if I can remember that detail, simplistic, I know guys, but if I can remember those details, like I always use the example when I'm trying to coach people on how to personalize their service is that like, let's imagine that you are showing a family a home and they have a daughter named Judy and Judy loves ballet. Daughter Those are Judy. Isn't yeah. that a theme song? Maybe that is a song. Maybe that's oh, going to be wife, a song wife, we're going to write right now. Name Judy. <laughs> we get copyright for that. <laughs> so, well, Josh and I uh, are both musicians, even though it might be poor musicians. <laughs> we're both musicians, <laughs> but but the point is those details. That is the first practical step. Think of the 100 people. So let's go off of the 100 people that you're talking about to generate 1.6 million. Every one of those people have details about their life, their job, their hobbies. What is the Ford method? The Ford method is family, occupation, recreation, and dreams, I think. I think that's the Ford method, which is, you know, you got to talk about someone's family. Yeah, (laughs) look that Ford method up, Andrea. See if I'm right on that. But it's like, I think it's family, occupation, recreation, and dreams. And the idea there from a sales um, standpoint is that how do you engage someone in networking? Talk about their family, talk about their occupation, talk about recreation, and talk about their dreams. And that will get people talking. So what should you store in your CRM? Yeah, I mean, what you're saying is... This final clip is from episode 34. Leave your mark with an impression piece. The impression piece that you create with your marketing, with your collateral, with whatever you're putting together, um, really is an extension of what that brand is that you want to portray. So I think one of the uh, key things about branding is, you know, your brand isn't your logo. Your brand isn't just this piece of marketing that you create. Your brand is how people perceive you. It's what your clients say about you. But 
That's a great point. What your clients say about you. Yeah, yeah. It's not what you say about yourself. It's what your clients say about you. And and then the impression piece is really something that we preach so much because I think a lot of people uh, don't think about the impact that it can leave after that meeting. So kind of like even in the intro talking about how if you, it's so hard to research stuff about an impression piece, but you can research a ton about making your first impression Mm -hmm. and how all of these little things that you could be doing with your body language and the clothes that you wear, how you greet people and what you say. Your energy. Yeah, all goes into forming that impression of you. But then once you leave, what's that thing that you have that's signature in your business that you leave behind that someone can hold on to and then you'll stay top of mind with? Because ultimately that's the goal, especially as a service-based sales professional, any small business, how can I make sure that I'm number one or two yep. when people think about the service that I provide, that I'm top of mind in order to do that? They yep. have to have something There's got to be some, like in financial, when we talk to financial service professionals, and maybe some of you listening to this are in the financial arena, we call it like the sticky asset. What's going to stay sticky in the home? What's going to remain with yeah. somebody long after you leave? I think the point you touched on, which we should you know reiterate to people, is that Gary Keller point of if you're not first or second, you have no chance of getting the deal. Mm-hmm. You have no chance. So when someone thinks of, you know, I guess the example would be you got to buy a car today. The first two car dealerships that pop into your mind are the car dealerships that are going to get your business. And I don't know the exact stats off the top of my head. I think number one is like around 75% or something like that, that the first person you think of. 70-30. Yeah, 70-30 or something like that. 70% of the time you're going to choose the first thing that pops into your mind, and then 30% you're going to choose second. I mean, third place doesn't get anything. Truly, second place you're losing too. This impression piece should be one of the many weapons in your arsenal that is helping you remain sticky and build that mind share. So that's maybe the first point to make about an impression piece is how do you make an impression piece that's gonna stick around? So is your business card an impression piece? So when you think of a service-based sales professional, what are they giving to everybody? They're giving a business card. Now let me ask you guys, put yourself in the recipient's shoes. How many of you have received business cards before? All of you have. Do you still have those business cards? Do, do you actually hang on to them? I don't hang on to business cards anymore. I, oh, even, no. I even struggle, and this is terrible from a sales perspective, I even struggle at conferences, the business cards I get from tons of people, which are leads for me, I even struggle to hang on to those mm-hmm. because they, not that they become a commodity, or, but it's just it's another piece of junk. Yeah. So how do you create something that people are gonna hang on to And maybe this is jumping ahead a little bit, but the point I would make is it goes back to relevancy. And how do you create something that's an impression piece for your business, but adds value to the person who's receiving it? So that's the business card is relevant what to your business? It's not relevant to the person receiving it. It's only relevant is if they're in the immediate need for what you're you're doing and they're going, I am actively in the buying process right now and need a realtor, need an insurance person, then they keep your business card. That's such a great point because I think a lot of people go into it thinking, what can I do that makes me look good or what can I create or have that that serves my needs? Correct. Versus what you're saying is put yourself in the shoes of your prospect or your client and say, what could I give them that suits their needs Mm -hmm. but also reminds them of me? And that's, I think, where the relevancy comes into play. Look at your business Look at what you provide. And this is, we talk about this stuff all the time. Last week, we talked about going live on Facebook and how to bring in your interest and what you do to add value to your clients' lives on social media. Same thing here with this impression piece. What can you actually create? I mean, when we go to conferences and things like that, we're always trying to think of, 
you're not going to see us show up at conferences with, um, I bet, you know, just an example like a stress ball or yes, something like that. Yes, correct. Because at the end of the day, that's not what relates to what we do that correct. also provides value correct. to our clients. So we're going to and come And that swag something. really means nothing. I mean, how it, many of you guys, what do you it, do it with that nothing. swag right. at I'm the Right, I'm using that as kind of an example of, like, even when you're picking your swag yep. for your office that you're yep. sitting on your desk there, think about how can the person that I'm sitting down having a meeting with mm -hmm. actually use this item and then think of me. Yes, correct. Well, think think to yourself when you're coming up with your impression piece. It's got to brand your business, so it's got to hit that point. It's got to be something that brands your business and has your contact information. And, and when they think of it, they think of you. But the key in the, in the differentiators that I've seen in impression pieces is when it, they think of you, but they can use it in their everyday life or they have it and it's super relevant that remains in the home. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Stay Paid. And if you like what you heard today, please give us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps the visibility of our podcast. But if you can't do that, please give this episode a share on the social media platform of your choice. And remember, the difference between a top producer and a mediocre producer is a top producer takes action. So take action on something you've heard today.